Well, amen. It is a pleasure to be here once again. Uh, it's always great to be invited somewhere, but it feels good to be invited again. And so I'm excited for the opportunity is to be here and fill in in the absence of your pastor. Uh, I wanted to try to be an encouragement to you. Numbers in chapter number 20 is where we're going to be. Numbers in chapter number 20. Numbers in chapter number 20. Of course, my, my family is not with me this morning. We have a uh, big Sunday plan next week and uh, some special music. So my wife had to be back for some rehearsals uh, after the morning service. But tonight, my wife and my kids will, will be with me. And uh, I would like to introduce them to you all. Met a, a lot of amazing people when I was here last time. I'm excited for them to get to meet you all as well. Numbers in chapter number 20. If you're there, let it be known by hearty amen. amen. The Bible says in verse number one, then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zen in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chose with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? And why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord? into the, this wilderness, that we and our cattle should die there. And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them uh, water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now ye rebels. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. God, do I thank you, God, Lord, for your word. God, do I thank you, God, the Lord, for how real it is, God, Lord, and how, God, you can make your word come alive. Now, God, I pray that you do something special here in our midst, God, or you're the only one who knows what we're all in need of. So, God, I pray that you hide me behind the cross, God, or forgive me of anything, God, or that would hinder me from being used this morning. God, I pray, God, Lord, that you would uh, give me clarity of thought, God, clarity of speech. So I try to communicate your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've often marveled about leadership. Uh, I've, I've liked to read about great leaders of the past and even the present. I, I, I like, I have an app on my phone where I get leadership quotes that come to me uh, on a regular basis. I've led teams that were as small as five people to as large as 100 people. And I like how you can uh, get people sometimes to do things that they don't think they have the strength or the ability to do. Somebody said leadership is, is taking somebody to a place that they don't know they can get to. And I enjoy and I marvel reading and studying leadership. 
If there was one leader that I can say I don't completely understand, it's the man by the name of Moses. The Bible says Moses was the meekest man who ever lived. Moses led a congregation some two million strong at times. And Moses led them from Egypt through the wilderness to literally the door of the promised land. As Moses was trying to lead this great group of people, Moses had to deal with something all the time. And it was their constant complaining. These people that Moses led, all they ever did was complain. Moses got them out of bondage and they complained and said, Moses, what to God you left us in bondage. I mean, Moses had them in the wilderness and they said, Moses, we prefer to be slaves than be free in the wilderness. In Numbers chapter number 11, the people are complaining again. In Numbers chapter number 11, what the people are complaining about is they don't have meat to eat. Now, they had all the fruits and vegetables that God allowed, and then God was giving them manna every single morning, but they wanted meat to eat. I'm not big on complaining, but I am big on having meat to eat, amen? So I do understand this. And so they were at this place where they're begging God for meat. God said, you know what? I'm going to give you exactly what you want. I'm going to give you so much meat that it's going to seem like meat is coming out of your nostrils, In Numbers chapter number 14, they're complaining again just three chapters later. This time they're not complaining about meat, but this time they're complaining because they feel like they're weak when it came to the armies that were around about them. Now, can I remind you that they just saw God defeat Pharaoh's army, the greatest army at the time? Can I remind you that during the wilderness, God constantly gave them victory over victory. But in Numbers chapter number 14, as they're getting on the brink of Canaan, they are facing an army that they don't feel like they can defeat. And they're begging God or complaining to Moses, God has to do something for us. Isn't it like that sometimes in our own life? We've seen God do things over and over and over again. But we face a trial that might seem new to us and we act like it's new to God. And we go complaining about God, what can you do instead of reflecting on God, what have you done? In Numbers in chapter number 20, they are complaining again. They're not complaining for meat this time. They're not complaining about their might that they seem uh, insignificant. What they're complaining about in Numbers chapter number 20 is they don't have water. Now, already... God has made bitter water sweet. Already God has done miracles to provide them water. They've been in the wilderness now for some 38 years already, and God has provided water time and time and time again. But at this particular venture in Kadesh, they're complaining because, God, we don't have water, and they're making comments like this. Moses, you and God brought us out here to die. If God brought them to the wilderness to die, couldn't he have done that? I don't know, 38 years ago. I mean, if that was his purpose, could he have just got him out there, crossed the Red Sea and said, I want you to die. You'll die right here. No, God promised them the promised land. An 11 day journey that has taken them almost 40 years. God has promised it to them. But because they don't have what they want, when they want, they feel like, God, you left us out here to die. Last week, I was preaching at a, at a youth conference in, in Orlando, Florida, and I spent, uh, they have a huge Christian school there, probably almost 200 in their high school. I mean, this is a huge Christian school. 
And I was preaching, and I think I alluded to this text about how, how, how young people, sometimes we get to the place where we, don't have, we have a problem with our parents because they don't give us what we want when we want. Now, they've provided everything. They've, they've given us, the, uh, most of us, a better life than they had themselves. But because we didn't get the PlayStation when we wanted the PlayStation. Because I didn't get the car at 16 when I wanted a car at 16. Around 16, 17, my dad gave me my first car. And it sat in the driveway for two months because I didn't want to drive it. Number one, it was a stick shift. I didn't know how to drive it. Number two, it was a station wagon. And, it, and it's real hard being cool at 16 with a green station wagon. And I let that car just sit. I didn't want to touch it until I asked him to take me to the gym. And he said, you got a car out there. Not the, not, not the green station wagon. I don't want to pull up at the gym where I know all my friends are going to be playing basketball. And I pull up in the green uh, Subaru station wagon. I learned how to drive it eventually. And drove it. I put almost 225,000 miles on that car. But I was ungrateful for it when I got it. Just like the children of Israel are sitting at this place and they are ungrateful. So I notice what Moses does here in our text. Moses takes their complaint. And as he has done in Numbers 11 and Numbers chapter number 14, they complain to Moses. Moses takes it to God. He goes to God and asks God, God, what should I do? What's my next move? And God tells Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that rod in your hand and I want you to go to that rock that you see and I want you to hit it twice. I mean, I, and I, I want you, I'm sorry, I want you to speak to that rock and I'm going to allow water to come out of it. Moses now, who heard the complaint, took the complaint before God. God gives him a word, tells him to go back and do something very specific. Moses takes that word from God. As he's going from God to the people, Moses translates it to make it sound exactly what he wants it to sound. And he goes before and he hits the rock twice. And the Bible says water came out abundantly. Could you imagine the excitement if you felt like you didn't have water and all of a sudden God gives you enough water for you and for your cattle? How excited you're going to be? Everybody is happy at what is taking place in Numbers chapter number 20 and verse number 10 and 11. Everybody is thrilled about what's taking place, but God. Notice Numbers chapter number 20, verse number 12. God speaking to Moses now. And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron. And notice what he says. Because ye believed me not. Now, when I read about that, I, I, I didn't question God. But God, you got to explain this thing. Because if anybody believes God is Moses. Can I remind you that Moses lived the life of a prince? And now he's wandering in the wilderness. Can I remind you that Moses now had to had to go before Pharaoh and saw God do 10 miracles in the presence? Can I remind you of Moses now who led these people over the Red, I mean, across the Red Sea? I mean, if anybody believes God is Moses. But when you begin to look at this, God doesn't look at your past obedience to recognize your current obedience. God views each instance at one time. And although Moses had did all these great feats for God, when God examined Moses at this time, he says, Moses and Aaron, you do not believe me. This morning, I want to preach with that thought in mind. Do you believe God? He said, well, I'm sitting in church this morning. Of course, I believe God. Do you? 
Do you believe God when you begin to evaluate the totality of God's known commands versus the totality of your known obedience? It will determine if you truly love God. Many of us love church. We don't really love God. As the brother preached this morning, we love our church family. But do we really love God? Do we really believe God and God who's who, who sits high and looks low, looked down at this circumstance and two million people were satisfied. But God wasn't satisfied with Moses for just the next few minutes. I want to preach with this thought in mind. Do you believe God? And we're going to take that question and we're going to put them against some other questions and allow you to evaluate for yourself. Do you believe God? Firstly. Do you believe God when circumstances seem unfair? Do you believe God when circumstances seem unfair? I've been in church my entire life. I was born on a Thursday and my first church service was Sunday night. I didn't. I told you, I think I might have said this before. I didn't miss church. I went to Bible college. Been in church my whole life. And I've seen people be faithful to God until they felt like God didn't do what they wanted God to do. And they thought God was unfair. Notice Numbers chapter 20, verse number one. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried. You say, what do you mean circumstances seem unfair? In number chapter 13, we're not going to go back there for sake of time. But in number chapter number 13, the people arrived in Kadesh. For the first time, they arrive in Kadesh. And in Numbers chapter 20 and verse number one, guess where the people still are? In Kadesh. You say, what seemed unfair? In seven chapters, they have moved, but they've gone nowhere. They, they haven't been just camped out. They've been wandering in a literal complete circle and they're moving, but there's no growth. There are going to be times in your spiritual life where you're going to feel like you're on, on a race path to God. And then there's going to be times in your spiritual life where you're going to say, God, I've been coming to church Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night, and I don't feel like I'm growing at all. There's some times in your life where you're going to literally make a complete circle across this trial and you're going to go by this trial over and over and over and over and over again. And you're going to say, God, let me get on to something else. But according to James, you don't move until you learn what you were there for in the first place. And you're going to feel like God's not fair. And you're going to have to ask yourself, do I really believe God? Because I'm trying to move, but God won't let me move. Ask yourself this question. Did I learn what God wanted me to learn? Did I learn what God wanted me to learn? They were moving, but there was no growth. But notice the second circumstance that seemed unfair. Miriam died. Miriam died. Don't you think if there was anybody Moses wanted to see in the promised land, it was Miriam? You remember when Moses was a baby and his mom put him in that Nile River, in that basket. Who was it who was watching him? It was Miriam. When when Moses was trying to lead the congregation, who did the Bible say was a prophetess that God used? It was Miriam. When Miriam disobeyed God and got leprosy, the whole congregation waited for seven days for God to heal her. Miriam had value to the congregation and Miriam was Moses's sister. And God took her home. 
She died in the wilderness. And Moses could have easily looked at this thing and said, God, that's not fair. Listen, death is something that the lost world struggles with and Christians struggle with it too. God, why did you take so-and-so home? One of the guys from our church went out and started a church in Hot Springs. Passed in Hot Springs for about 15 years. On one Saturday, he was cutting the grass at the church. And we don't know what happened between he was cutting the grass till he went inside. And two steps into the foyer, they found his body there dead. Our first church plant. The first man who was saved in our church, baptized in our church, went out to start a church, had a young church, and we're trying to figure out, God, if you could take anybody home, why him? He was faithful. There were people dependent on him. There were people who he was their spiritual father. They were looking to him from growth. And it's easy for us to say, God, you're unfair when you've taken somebody home who was valuable to me. But my question is, do you believe God? The only way you get through things like that is believing that God has a plan, believing that God has a will, believing that God has a purpose. All of us in this room probably know somebody who's out of church right now because they're struggling with who God decided to take home. And God took Miriam. And my question this morning is, do you really believe God when circumstances seem unfair? Notice with me, secondly. Do you really believe God when contention seems unrivaled? When contention seemed unrivaled. Notice verse number two. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chose with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? The people come to Moses, and they come very aggressively. Now, I don't know about you. I, I, I don't like contention. I don't like having to argue. I don't like having to go back and forth. I, I tell people all the time, it's real hard to argue when you stutter because you can't get your words out fast enough. And I stutter, and so I can't get what I'm trying to say out. So it's best for me not to argue at all. I don't like contention. But do you believe God when contention seems to mount? You say, I thought serving God was going to be easy. I thought when I got in church and, and I decided to make these changes and I decided to make God the God of my life, I thought my wife would follow and my kids would follow and I thought my parents would respond and I thought my brothers and sisters, I thought they would all adapt to this is the new man that I am, this is the new woman that I am. But what do you do when the contention that you're getting starts to go against the purpose you're trying to do in your life? Brother Smith, when, when I got married, I did not know that my wife could argue with me. I didn't know. We didn't argue when we were dating. I did not know that she would get mad and go sleep on a couch. I didn't know that would happen. I told her the first time she did that, I said, I got up and I went to, to, to the couch with her. She was mad. She went to the guest room. I went to the guest room. We, we just going to follow each other around this house. Right? There was contention. I didn't necessarily know how to deal with it, but I knew it had to be dealt with. And, and, and there are young converts in our church back home and there are young converts who are not there who should be because the husband tried to take a stand and the wife didn't want to follow. And because he didn't want contention, he decided he won't come back to church either. Who did you help, sir? 
There are wives who are coming to church, but because their husbands don't want to come to church, now they stop coming. So what do you think happens to the kids? The question is, do you believe God? And contention sometimes is going to mount, but you're going to have to find yourself realizing that my belief in God trumps my circumstances. I like what Moses does in Numbers chapter number 20, verse number two and three. They were contentious with them. Notice what Moses does in verse number six. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly. Notice where they went unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and fell upon their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. Listen, when you take a spiritual stand, there's going to be some contention. But you ought to find great solace. You ought to find great joy for removing yourselves from that contention and finding yourself in your secret place with God. Listen, that's what's going to shore up your beliefs. It's easy for us to deal with contention and we want to pick up a book. We want to listen to something we've read on social media. We want to listen to what some counselor in our past who might not know the word of God has given us. But the greatest thing you can do in the midst of contention is remove yourself from that element and find yourself in the presence of the Lord. Moses' initial decision proved that he believed God. Oftentimes, what hurts the believer is not their first choice, it's their second one. I'm backed in a corner. I need help. And you go before God and you get the help. But then when God begins to explain to you what you have to do, you say, God, I don't want to do that. I was talking to a young man last week. Grew up in a Christian school, but he married the wrong person. Sorry, sir. (laughs) You admitting that you married the wrong person does not. God does not say, well, you know what you did. You need a second chance. That's not how God works. That's your wife, sir. You all got to figure this thing out. Things are tough. He reaches out for counsel. He gets godly counsel. But godly counsel is not always easy counsel. It's right. And as we tell our kids, it's always right to do right, but it's not always easy to do right. Got the godly counsel, but decided he wanted to do it his own way. His first decision was great. He reached out for help. But once he got the counsel that he needed, he decided, I don't want to talk to a rock. This might make me look bad. This might make me seem bad. I don't want to talk to a rock. Moses, I'll go hit the rock. Do you really believe God when circumstances seem unfair? When contention seems unrivaled? But notice with me thirdly, do you really believe God when the command seems unreasonable when the command seems unreasonable you know sometimes the commands of God are just a little tougher as an example I was using earlier when I first got married and as a brother preached a little bit today and you first start having those initial arguments and those initial disagreements as you're trying to bend two people of the opposite sex in the same room and you're trying to figure out how all this stuff is going to work you know what God's command is Husbands, love your wives. He said, but she's pretty, but she's not always lovable. Husbands, love your wives. I still remember, as, as one of my mentors told me that, without knowing my circumstances and what I was experiencing with, he was teaching, and he said, husbands, love your wives. Listen, that command might seem unreasonable at times, but it's reasonable. Give 
and it shall be given unto you. Well, I don't have it to give right now. The command is not give when you have it. The command is give when you're told. It seems unreasonable. The command that God gave Moses seemed unreasonable. Moses, go speak to the rock. Now, I don't know exactly what Moses' thought process, but I know my thought process. The last thing I want to do is to get a word from God, and God gives me the word, and I got to get up here, and I got to talk to the piano. You all probably look at me like I was crazy if the whole time I preached right at the piano. I would think I was crazy if the whole time I preached right at the piano. But God gave Moses the word and said, Moses, go speak to the rock, and and I'm going to do something special. But the command seemed unreasonable. So Moses did what seemed reasonable. He did what worked in the past. See, in Exodus chapter number 17, Moses was in front of a rock again. And the people needed water, and God had them smite the rock. And water came out. And Moses said, if it worked in the past, shouldn't it work again? I mean, that seems reasonable. It worked before. It should work again. But Moses did not understand that when he hit the rock the second time, he ruined the picture that God was trying to picture of how you must come to salvation one time. Jesus is the rock. He is our chief cornerstone. And he was struck for our sins or he was uh, crucified one time. And that was the picture that was to be portrayed. But when Moses uh, hit the rock again, it portrays that you can get saved again or or you needed another way to get saved and God could not allow Moses to ruin this example listen when God gives you a command you might not understand the why behind it but you got to trust the person who gives you that command you have to trust the person who gives you the command do you believe God when circumstances seem unfair when contention seems unrivaled, when the command seems unreasonable, and notes with me fourthly and lastly, do you believe God when consequences seem unfathomable? Do you, are you going to really believe God when you make a decision that's out of the will of God and the consequences is more than you can bear? You remember, you remember Cain who offered a sacrifice that was unacceptable and God punished him? And Cain said, God, this this is more than I can bear. Well, well, sir, you don't get to pick the punishment for when you disobey God. You don't get to pick the punishment when you disobey God. I remember as a kid, my parents would say stuff like this. Go in there and get that belt. Now, getting a whooping is bad enough. But do I got to pick up the belt? my, My dad didn't have a big one and a small one. He had a big one and a bigger one. He had a thick one and a thicker one. I mean, I mean, picking out the belt was not was not a, a relief. It, it, it was not going to make it easier. Spiritually speaking, when God picks out the punishment for your sin, it's, it's not going to be what you want to give up. It's not going to be what you willing to sacrifice. Notice what takes place here. In Numbers chapter number 20. Let's look at verse number 24. Numbers 20, 24. Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, for he, for he shall not enter into the, Lord, into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribeth. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son, and bring them up into Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them upon Eleazar his son, 
and Aaron shall be gathered into his people and shall die there. Because of Moses' and Aaron's disobedience, Moses has to take Aaron, his brother, take him up to the mountain, take off his priestly garments, put him upon Aaron's son, his nephew, and Moses has to watch Aaron die. In this chapter, God takes home Miriam. Moses and Aaron's sins took home Aaron. Listen, you say, well, God, these consequences are just too much. Do, do you really believe God? A lot of people get out of church completely right here. They, they, they struggle through the circumstance. They, they try to work through the contention. They, they've tried to ignore the command. But when God now begins to lay out the punishment for their sin and they're living in the punishment of their sin, they come to the reality that God is unfair. But do you really believe God? Listen, all of us, since we've been saved, have made decisions that we knew were against God. But they were easy at the time. In our minds, they made the most sense. Based upon our understanding of the circumstances, it seemed wise. But when God lays out the consequences, are you going to really believe God? These mountaintops with God are amazing. When every time I pray, God answers my prayers, or at least I feel that way. Every time I come to church, God speaks just to me. In my devotion times, everything's unlifting. But what about when God has to judge sin? Are you at the place where you really believe God? God's going to put us through tests and trials to test our belief. Now, the, the purpose of the test and trial is not for him to know where you stand. It's for you to know where you stand. It's for him. It's for you to know, you know what, God, when it comes to this area of my life, I struggle. That way you can go to God and say, God, now you got to help me. And for some this morning, it might be, God, you know what? I believed on you for salvation, but that was easy. I didn't have to do anything. But believing on you for sanctification, now that's a little difficult. I have to do something there. And part of this here, in number, chapter number 20, of believing God, it's, it's going to take some tests. It's going to take some trials. There are going to have to be some circumstances that people are going to look out from the outside and say, that, that, that wasn't fair, and you're going to have to respond, all things work together for good to them to love God. To them that are called according to his purpose. There are going to be some things where you're going to have to look at it and the contention is going to be so high. And you're going to say, God, why did you put this on me? And you're going to have to be reminded that God had put more on you than you could bear. There are going to be some times where the command is going to seem so unreasonable. And, 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 and you're going to say, well, God, I don't understand. Why did you do this? And you're going to have to be like David and say, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. And then there's some consequences that are going to seem unfathomable. And you're going to have to say, God. I understand I sinned and I understand this is part of your chastening. This is part of your correction. And God, once you get me through, we won't have to visit this again. Why? Because I know I believe you. Let's pray. Heads about eyes are closed. God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you, God, or for the few moments, God, or that we had this morning, God, to open your word. And God, or to be challenged, God, what about this thought of do we believe God? Now, God, I pray God will just speak to our hearts as only you can in Jesus' name.